but different answers. There are a lot of people really excited about this day, excited about this week and all that it brings. For others, it's somewhat painful. First year, they're going to celebrate without someone they love, without a family member or a friend. Somebody who's been a part of their life for a long period of time. And for most of us, we're going to celebrate. We're going to sing. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to have the time of our lives. We have that first grandchild, first grandson, first bride that's come into the family or a son-in-law that's come into the family. And so for a lot of people, it's amazing. If I were to interview you or go through town, interview a number of people, I'd come up with a number of different answers as to what this week is all about. To the businessman, he would say it's an opportunity to kind of make up, to kind of fill in the gap for the things that didn't happen that I wish would have happened but didn't go well throughout this year. And for this particular season, I, I got to kind of catch up. To a child, it's toys. It's Christmas Eve. Stockings filled with candy. It's excitement and joy and the Christmas tree lighting up. I still remember my wife telling me when she grew up, the tree was up, but it was undecorated until Christmas Eve after the kids went to bed. I still have no idea how her dad and mom ever did it and got all the gifts put together. Most of the time when my kids were growing up, I was up all night putting something together that still fell apart the next day. But they waited until after the kids went to bed, and then all of a sudden they got up Sunday morning or Monday morning or Tuesday, whenever Christmas was, and there was the gifts under the tree and the tree all decorated. And the excitement and anticipation that goes with that is amazing. I remember as a child opening up a gift, and it was something I wanted for or waited for for a long period of time. It was a toy or a BB gun or something along that line. And I looked over and I watched these parents unwrap clothes. And I thought, I hope I never grow up. I know some of you are saying you didn't. But as a child, I couldn't wait for all that this week brought. Now, if I were to interview a grandma this morning, you know the first thing she'd say, right? Grandkids. There's one. They couldn't wait for that moment when the grandkids show up. No longer is it the excitement of that son-in-law or that daughter coming home. It's you did bring the kids, right? They just want to be around them. That family meal, family gathering, an opportunity just to celebrate the next generation of life. Now, to a dad, Christmas means what? Paying the bills and all that comes with that. Their favorite song is, I heard the bills on Christmas Day. To a mom, it's love, laughter, kids, and cleaning up, right? I heard this one a number of years ago. On the 12th day of Christmas, my children gave to me 12 dogs a-leaping, 11 cats a-creeping, 10 fingers gripping, 9 toes a-tripping, 8 drinks a-spilling, 7 glasses filling, 6 friends and things, 5 telephone rings, 4 crayoned walls, 3 loud calls, 2 kisses free, and a mom up a pear tree. Which I got to believe is probably true. Christmas is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To those of us who are followers of Christ, it is the first of the two greatest events in the history of humanity. Now, if I would interview people around the world, they would have different answers to that question. But to you and I, who are followers of Christ, it is the first of the absolute two greatest events in the history of humanity. It's very difficult to celebrate one without remembering the other. 
the exaltation of the plan, Christ coming into the world, entering humanity, and then what we'll celebrate in Easter, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said, I've got to be honest with you in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection of Christ, we still have no hope. And what the world had been waiting for all along for century after century after century was the hope of the Messiah. The hope really wasn't fulfilled until the resurrection of Christ. So for those of us who are followers of Christ, it is an amazing event. God, the light of the world, entering humanity. But it's the first of the two greatest events in the history of humanity for followers of Christ. The exaltation of the plan, Christ coming into the world, and the culmination of the plan, the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And so when you celebrate this event, you and I both obviously have to keep the next event in our minds. As magnificent and as amazing as this event is, it's all culminated in the death and resurrection of Christ. For those of us who are followers of Christ, it is an amazing event. And you and I have the privilege and the thrill of living on this side of the cross, this side of the story. I'm not sure how long you waited for that special gift, whatever that gift may have been. Mom told you about it. Dad told you about it a long time ago and said, maybe next Christmas. And so all of a sudden you thought, maybe it's this one. Maybe I'm going to get it. Maybe it's been that whatever for a long period of time that you waited for. Those of our fathers and mothers and, and brothers and sisters and way generations back who had been waiting for the combination of this plan and the execution of this plan had waited for centuries on end. I mean, from Genesis on, the prediction of the coming of Christ into the world had been talked about. From the very outset of the beginning of humanity, in the book of Genesis, that little glimmer of Jesus coming into the world to rescue and redeem us from the sin that is now entered because of Satan. The disobedience of man and woman had waited forever. And all of a sudden it's here. And it's incredible. If I were to ask John or Paul, can you imagine what it would be like to interview either one of those two men? What was it like? What is it like for you? What was it like for you to be there? Not just to have read about it or longed for it or waited for it. What was it like for you to have been there when the light of the world came and revealed himself? John, in one way, would have described it like this. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that we who are sons of men can become sons and daughters of the living God. Incredibly powerful statement. And Wednesday night, I'll unpack that one as one of my favorite. If I were to ask the Apostle Paul, he'd say, let me, let me give you another version. Let me back up a little bit, not just talk about Mary and Joseph and some of the aspects of the Christmas story. Let me back up a little bit and let you see, as we continue our journey in this particular series this year, on the incarnation of Christ. And let me describe it to you this way. It's in Philippians chapter 2. You have sermon notes in your bulletin. Take them out if you want to kind of fills you in from last week as well as some pieces for this Sunday as well. Every year when you're a pastor, you're trying to say, God, what do you want me to say this year at Christmas? What aspects of the story do you want me to share? And now into my 20th year as a pastor at Community Alliance Church, 19th year, I had the opportunity to share over and over again different aspects of the story. And this year, I made a conscious decision to kind of back up a little bit and look at the story from God's perspective it's a story that's never contained to a verse or a chapter, but all the way through the New Testament. 
Last Sunday morning, I gave you just a few out of John and Matthew and Mark, or out of Luke, out of Hebrews, out of Philippians chapter 2, 1 John again. Colossians even describes it a little bit. Paul would say, I want to talk to you about this amazing event. I want to share with you what it's like from God's vantage point. I want to share what it's like from my vantage point. I want to show you the existence of Christ, the emptiness of Christ, and eventually his exaltation. So let me share with you the story. He begins in verse 5 by saying this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped or to held on to. Instead, he made himself nothing, took on the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In light of all of that, which is why the word therefore is there, God highly exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He begins by saying this in regards to Christ's existence in verse 6. Paul said he existed in the very nature of God. J.B. Phillips' translation says, For he who has always been God by nature, the King James Version uses the word form. Got a thousand different verses running around in my head, and every single one that I've memorized comes out of King James Version. I grew up that way, then we went to Revised Standard and NIV, and the list is endless of the messages and the stories that I've read out of the Word of God, but the ones that I memorized the most are out of King James, and that word form is one that was always in my mind. Paul was saying that Christ has always existed. Sometimes we think, if we're not careful, that the birth of Christ and the baby in the manger and the shepherds, you could tend to think that Christ didn't exist until born in Bethlehem for those who don't know the story. But the story has no beginning in one sense. It began before the beginning. The word form or nature in verse 6 in this side of the story is that which never changes. Paul in that phrase is expressing the divinity of Christ. The divinity has never changed. He has always been the son of God, always been in existence, always been divine by nature. Paul wants to make sure that the reader understands that the divinity of Christ was not exchanged for his humanity at birth. Christ never forsook his divinity when he took on humanity. He's always been God, always has been and always will be. But he set that aside for you and I. Christ was born, it was not the beginning of Christ, it was the beginning of his humanity. In the beginning, John says, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He begins his other epistle in 1 John by saying this in a paraphrased form. Something out of eternity entered the realm of human history. It became audible. No longer was God out there somewhere. We actually heard and understood what he sounded like. And that voice still rings in our ears. It actually became visible. We saw it. To be honest with you, that vision still lingers in our minds. It became comprehensible. Our minds grasped the fact of what it was, and it became physical. Our hands literally touched it. It became the very expression, the exact likeness of life itself. And so Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, the existence of Christ has always been. And then he goes in, continues the story by saying, but he set that aside so that he could take on humanity. Verses 6 to 8, 
who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. These verses reveal to us the character of Christ. Didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Another translation says he didn't cling to his prerogative as God's equal. You and I live in a day of self-fulfillment, a day of selfies. And the one person that everybody wants to make sure is in their selfies is whom? Themselves. They're thrilled to be with somebody else and they're excited about being with somebody else. They want to make sure that everybody sees them. We live in a world like that. It's always been that way. Looking out for number one. But when you look at Jesus, what fascinates me about the story is you see exactly the opposite. Satan demanded something that wasn't rightfully his and was cast out of heaven. There's a problem with Adam and Eve who demanded something that wasn't rightfully theirs and sin came into the world. And ever since, mankind is demanding things that aren't necessarily rightfully theirs. And even when they get it, they always want just a little bit more. And here comes Christ, divine by nature, who rightfully has all the things at his disposal, who didn't have to give it all up and yet willingly gave it up. Look back at verses 3 to 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Every time you see a brand new baby, the first question that's always asked is what? Who do they look like? Look like mom? Look like dad? Look like me? And most people will say what? They look like me. He's got my smile. He's got my face. Now, you've got to realize in my ministry life in the last 37 years, I've looked at a lot of babies. And every once in a while, you want to just say, that's a baby. Because you don't know what else to say. But most of the time, you know that they want you to identify who they most look like. And most moms will say they look like me or they'll kindly say, got his dad's eyes. Got his dad's face. And as they grow, they have their dad's heart. The older I get, the more I look like my dad. My character traits, I've changed a lot. But the older I get, the more I look like him. Still disappoints my mom, who actually pointed that out again yesterday in my Saturday phone call. How come everybody says you look like your dad? I do. We have pictures on our refrigerator. You all have pictures on your refrigerator, most of your family. I love to go to your houses and look in your cupboards and expect them and then look on your refrigerator and kind of see what goes on and who's really important in your life. And we have a number of pictures and they're all family and grandkids and grandchildren now. Somehow all the other ones disappeared and now it's grandchildren all over the refrigerator. And when Ike comes, the littlest one, I'll hold him up. And especially a year or so ago when he was just two or going on three. And I would ask him to identify all the people. When there was one particular picture where he's holding Julian, my oldest daughter's oldest son. And and it's my brother holding Julian. And I pointed to the picture and I said, who is that? He goes, Pap. And I realized that's Pap. I'm Pap. And he sees those similarities and those traits and I called my brother and I said, whether you like it or not, pal, we both look a lot alike and we both look like dad. I shared with you before that all three of my grandchildren are adopted and it still fascinates me how see character traits and even similar traits in both of them. It's going to be amazing through the years of the journey to find out that environment has more of an effect than genetics on who they become and what they eventually appear to be in all kinds of aspects. 
But the one thing that you know that you're probably the most proud of as you watch your kids develop is the character traits that they take on that are positive in your life. And you want them to make good choices and right choices and and you want to know that you've had a part of that in shaping them and forming them as I asked Brandon and Caitlin this morning if they're willing to do. And you want to know that when they're all said and done, they've really come out well. I'm proud of who they are and what they've become. And then I look at this story and I find Paul and John basically saying the same things. He not only looks like his dad, Jesus, that is, he actually is. They're identical. And then as Paul begins this story, says a powerful statement at the very beginning, if you're not careful because you go through it, you miss. But he goes back to the beginning, and I want to as well when he says, and so should you. As followers of Christ, I want you to look like your father. I want you to look like him. And how you treat one another, how you relate to one another, how you encourage one another, I really want you with every fiber of my being to bear the same resemblance and your relationships with each other look a lot like Jesus. In verse 7, as Jesus took on humanity, it says he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature or form of humanity. Now, that's the second time that word form or nature is used. And in this context, it means that which is continually changing. It describes that which moves from boyhood to manhood as Christ took on human relationships. And now he's only, not only talking about identity, he's now talking about relationships. God, through Jesus Christ, did not give up his divinity when he put on humanity. He began to understand and talk to us about what it means to take on that relationship. Familiar verse out of Isaiah that we've all heard at some point or the other, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And in that context, unto us a child is born, talks about his humanity, unto us a son of given, speaks to us of his divinity. Paul is saying he gave up the rights of heaven. He gave up all the pleasures of heaven, all the aspects that he had with the Father to come into this sin-cursed world to rescue you and I and redeem us so that we forever could be free. Out of all the gifts you've ever received in all of your life, the greatest gift you've ever been given is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. The ultimate relational gift. If I were to ask you to walk through your mind this morning of all the gifts you've ever been given, I've got to believe that there are a number of them that may surface at the top. But if I think I know humanity well enough, most of the ones that will surface to the very top will be the relational gifts. Not necessarily the most expensive gift or the most amazing gift, but it was that gift in your sermon notes this morning from the heart. Because those usually are the gifts that most of us remember the most. Not always the one that wowed us or that was the most expensive, but the one that we knew was genuinely from the heart of an individual. I still can go to my mom's bedroom every once in a while, and somewhere in a pedestal is a set of jewelry that my brother and I, through years of on the trap lines, and if you don't know what that means, I won't describe it on a Sunday morning, but we would collect fur. As we were kids, growing up, didn't have a lot of money, and so we tried to do a number of things a number of ways, and He and I went together for the first time in our lives, which is probably the thing that she cherishes the most, that we actually did something together. 
And out of all the money that we raised that year, bought her this set of jewelry. Now, I'm 61 years old, and that was somewhere in my early teens. And for the last 40-some years, she's had that one thing out of the dozens and dozens of gifts that she's ever received on a very special place. Because to her, it was the gift from the heart. Or her two boys that she loves and adores. And she's kept it in a very special place, not because it was extravagant, certainly not because it was expensive, but it was a genuine gift from the heart. As you can well imagine, I received more emails from more people saying, you've got to see this. You've got to watch this. You've got to see this story. Then I know what to do with, to be honest with you, from time to time. But I got one a few weeks ago that I knew exactly what to do with. And when I'm talking about genuine giving from the heart, this is the one that I want to show you this morning. And I want you to watch it carefully. And especially at the end, watch the ultimate picture that you see. And then I'll come back. A few weeks ago, Steve Hartman introduced us to a young boy who found a $20 bill, converted it to a currency called kindness, and invested it with a stranger. Well, that investment has had quite a return. Here's Steve on the road. Nine-year-old Miles Eckert may be America's most reluctant celebrity. It was never his intention to be honored at civic events or posed for pictures. But for the last month, this has been his world. Thank you so much. Things are not so normal right now. We're on the right of our lives. <laughs> Tiffany is Miles' mom. I mean, I've seen stuff go viral, but usually it's like a picture of a cat, not my son. It's the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. If you missed the story that started it all, Miles' adventure began here at a Cracker Barrel in Maumee, Ohio. As the security camera shows, Miles and his family entered the restaurant on February 7th at 11.14. Miles was very excited. He just found a $20 bill in the parking lot. Just sitting there? Yeah. Did you start thinking of what you could spend it on? I kind of wanted to get a video game, but then I decided not to. He changed his mind when he saw a guy in a military uniform enter the restaurant. Because he was a soldier, and soldiers remind me of my dad. And so, with his dad in mind, Miles wrapped the 20 in a note that read, Dear Soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckert, a Gold Star Kid. Army Sergeant Andy Eckert was killed in Iraq just five weeks after Miles was born. All the kid has ever had are pictures and dog tags. This is his wedding ring. Other people's memories and his own imagination. I imagined him as a really nice person and somebody that would be really fun. <laughs> the dad he imagines must also love a good story. Because after lunch oh, that day, boy. Miles asked his mom to make one more stop. Excellent. He wanted to go see his dad. Hmm. And he wanted to go by himself that day. She took this picture from the car. Follow the footsteps and you'll see Miles standing there behind the flag. Presumably telling his dad all about it. And whether heaven heard him or not, his good deed has made a huge impression here on earth. You've read it more than once. I look at it every day. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly of the Air National Guard is the one who got the note. K-1 
kid gave you a bigger gift than $20? Uh, a lifetime uh, uh, direction, for sure. Lieutenant Colonel Daly paid it forward by giving away the money. And that 20 has been multiplying ever since. It's exponential. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. After our story aired, a lot of people wanted to give Miles his $20 back. But instead of taking any money, the Eckerts directed those donations to Snowball Express, a charity that helps kids who've lost a parent to war. So far, donations total more than a quarter of a million dollars. Somebody would be very proud. Steve Hartman, On the Road, near Toledo, Ohio. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. Most in the first service said I should have saved it to the end because it's hard to follow. Best gifts you'll ever receive are gifts from the heart. And the best gift you and I as followers of Christ have ever been given came from the very heart of God. From the very heart of God. Who loved you and I so much that he gave everything so that you and I could be rescued and redeemed and set free, have life for all eternity. Paul says, I want you to know that that emptying of himself was not for himself. It was for us. He put on the likeness of a man for you and I. He wanted to relate. He wanted to identify so that our pressures are his, so that our temptations are the same that he went through, so that he could demonstrate to us what obedience really looks like. In his case, it came to the point of death, even death on a cross. When God chose to reveal himself, he did so through a human body. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its nails. The feet upon women which women wept were calloused and dusty. And the tears came from a heart as broken as yours and mine have ever been. Which is why Paul could say we have a high priest who really does understand what we go through. And because of that, people came to him. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes. They placed their children at his feet. There's not a hint of one person who was ever afraid to draw near to him. There were those who mocked him. There were those who were envious of him. There were many who misunderstood him. There were some who revered him. But there was not one person who considered him too holy, too divine to touch. Not one person who was reluctant to approach because of ever being rejected. Remember that. Remember that the next time you feel yourself amazed by your own failures or the next time accusations burn a hole in your soul or the next time you see a cold cathedral and don't feel the warmth. Remember, it was man who created the distance and Jesus who built the bridge. And so in all of that, Paul says, I want you to know because of what he was willing to do, I need you to see the end result of the story. In light of all of that, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name. And there will come a day that Revelation describes that every knee will bow at his feet and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Christ came to Bethlehem, only a few ever bowed before him. When he returns a second time, Paul says, I want you to know because of his willingness to give what he gave, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Christmas is the most incredible time of the year. It means different things to different people. And you and I sitting in an audience like this this morning know that it's way more than presents and trees and family gatherings. It is a plan formed from the beginning of time in the heart of a God who loved you and I so much that he gave up everything so that we could have life and have it forever. And it all began in a little town called Bethlehem and became reality. This week is an incredible week in the lives of so many different people. For some, it will be a remembrance of someone they lost. For others, it will be the greatest thing they've ever imagined because of the new life or the gift that they've been given. But you and I as followers of Christ have the opportunity to share what this week really means to all of us. And it's more than wearing a pin that says Jesus is the reason for the season or banning those that don't say Merry Christmas. But it's an opportunity to just share love and joy and grace to actually look a lot like Jesus in everything we do. I have no idea whether that little boy was a follower of Christ at all. But I know his story is powerful. But you and I both know a much more powerful story of a God who loved us so much that he gave everything so that we could have life for all eternity. What I'd love for you as a follower of Christ to do this week is to, on Monday and Tuesday and specifically Wednesday, pray for every church and every pastor and every music and worship leader who on that particular day will see thousands of people flood into their doors that normally don't come. And for maybe the very first time in someone's life, They'll find what they've been looking for forever. Don't worry about whether somebody's sitting in your seat or didn't dress appropriately or didn't come with the right attire or the right time. Pray for every single church this particular week across this land and around the world who for on those few hours will have such an amazing influx of people that they won't see again for another year and that this year, on that day, in one single moment of time, they will receive and accept the greatest gift of all. And for those of us who are sharing, we have such a small, short window of an opportunity to share it with them. And so would you pray for us and pray for churches around the planet and in this nation? This nation desperately needs Jesus. The hatred and the animosity and the bitterness and the uncertainty that's going on on all sides of every issue is almost electric. And on one day, on that event, we'll have the opportunity to share with thousands the answer. Pray for us. Father, lives have been changed dramatically through the years because of the story that we share so many times and so often during this season. Our lives, for most of us in this audience this morning, maybe for all of us, have been changed for all eternity because of what this week is all about and what it represents. And we know that it's the beginning of the story of our redemption. And so, Father, as we rehearse it over and over again as we share it, may it never get old, may it never grow cold, May it be just as powerful as the first time we heard it. And may we all be reminded of your unbelievable love for us and your willingness to give up everything 
to allow us to find everything in you. Lord, we thank you for the models who have gone before us who have revealed to us what love and grace is all about. But you as the ultimate model have displayed for us the kind of people that we are to be. And so during these days, as the world around us gets so busy and hectic, give us more and more opportunities to show and share what we have found in Jesus to those who really aren't sure what this season really is all about. So bless us and use us. And for every pastor and every musician, every little child, every candle holder, for everybody who will be involved in a thousand different events all around this globe, may this year change lives forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I can help you pray for you, encourage you in any way, we'd love to do that. Otherwise, I look forward to Wednesday night and seeing you then like you can't believe. Have a great day.